This is Matt Raymond at the Library of Congress. Each year, thousands of book lovers of all ages visit the nation's capital to celebrate the joys of reading and lifelong literacy at the National Book Festival, sponsored by the Library of Congress and hosted by First Lady Laura Bush. Now in its eighth year, this free event held on the National Mall, Saturday, September 27th, will spark readers' passion for learning as they interact with the nation's best-selling authors, illustrators, and poets. Even if you can't attend in person, you can still participate on online. These pre-recorded podcasts with well-known authors are available through the National Book Festival website at www.loc.gov bookfest. Today I have the honor of talking with well-known teens and children author Sharon Draper. Her works include Forged by Fire, November Blues, and Copper Sun, and they often deal with difficult issues like gang life, illiteracy, and child abandonment. Ms. Draper is the recipient of two Coretta Scott King Awards and two Coretta Scott King Honor Awards. As a former educator, she is further distinguished as the 1997 National Teacher of the Year, and she now travels the globe speaking to numerous educational and literacy groups. Ms. Draper, welcome. It's a pleasure to talk with you. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Now, you've had outstanding success, obviously, as a teacher for 30 years, receiving a lot of awards for your work. What prompted you to move from teaching into pursuing a writing career? Actually, the move was very gradual. I was a reading teacher, a writing teacher, a teacher of English language arts and books and literature, and I loved books, and I loved being able to share books with my students. So writing was a gradual, gradual offshoot. And I found that my students didn't like to read necessarily the books that were assigned as required reading. And I said, I think I can write a book that my students will like, that will engage them, but still have all that high literary quality that English teachers look for with things like figurative language and symbolism and If I could teach it, I certainly could write it, and so I did. Was it a difficult transition for you in any way? Uh, Not really. I wrote the first four books, four or five books, while I was still teaching, Um, mostly during the summer and, you know, summer vacation and um, holidays and such. But I didn't start writing full-time until I retired. Now, I want to talk a little bit about uh, some of your uh, activism, your involvement with uh, literacy, uh, in particular, uh, the Reading Across Continents project, which uh, there's a very special event coming up on September 8th. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. Reading Across Continents is an absolutely wonderfully unique program. It's the only intercontinental, international, cross cultural book event that I'm aware of. And what it will take is uh, students in the United States will read my book, Copper Sun, and students in in Nigeria, and we've just expanded to Ghana, will also read that same book. They will also read a book by an African author. And the uh, Nigerian author... The title of her book is Purple Hibiscus, and it's by Chimamanda Adichie. Mm -hmm. And so students on both continents will read the books, and then they will talk about the books. They will blog. They will 
uh, interact. There will be live satellite hookups. There will be uh, trips scheduled from uh, between students in Africa and students in the United States, and they will visit each other's schools and each other's countries. It's a wonderful, wonderful learning experience, and I'm just so proud that Copper Sun uh, was chosen as one of those books. And I understand that on September 8th there will be a live uh, webcast that will be linking uh, students from, from those countries? On September 8th is the launch of the program. And there will be dignitaries from all over. There will be um, from, you know, the, from the, the Nigerian embassy and the Ghanaian embassy and all the dignitaries. There will be students there. And there will be a hookup with children in uh, Africa if the satellite <laughs> transmissions work. There's some question as to whether we'll be able to get the satellites up and running. If it does not run on that day, because September 8th is the launch day, there will be another day where the children will be hooked into each other and will be able to talk face-to-face through satellite. That takes a lot of, uh, it's, it's, a, it's more complicated and more technologically advanced than I can handle, but uh, for it will be a launch, and the children, at least in Nigeria, will be able to see it if they won't be able to talk to us at that time. And the, the website details about that is 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 uh, still up in the air. Okay, and the website for that is readingacrosscontinents.com. Do I have that correct? Readingacrosscontinents.com. You can also go to ira.org because it's co-sponsored by the International Reading Association. Uh, the uh, National Geographic, Simon and Schuster, uh, uh, American University—it's—it's it's really, really the American Embassy. It's—it's it's just a, a real multicultural international uh, event, and I'm just extremely excited about it. Well, that's wonderful. You mentioned your book, Copper Sun. Talk a little bit about that, if you could. Copper Sun is. Most of my books deal with contemporary teenagers and contemporary situations. But Copper Sun is historical fiction, and it deals with um, a girl who was born in 1783 in what is now Ghana. And she is um, captured by slavers, and she's marched across the continent. She survives the Middle Passage, and she ends up in the colony of South Carolina. And the book is not a traditional slave narrative as such, first of all, because it takes place from the point of view of a teenage girl. And what she's thinking about is all of these things are happening to her. She didn't understand what was going on or why these people were doing that. The other difference is that it uh, is a story of hope and redemption and friendship. Ultimately, it ends on a hopeful note. And um, I got to read from Copper Sun at the book festival two years ago. It was just incredible. As I mentioned earlier, your books are very often based on, on serious topics. Why do you think it's important for young people to be exposed to those topics? Young people are exposed to those topics in their daily life. Uh, there's way too much fluff in their reading. They write to me and they say thank you for writing about things that we care about, things that we worry about, things that really make a difference in our life. 
And I get hundreds of emails in the course of a school year of young people who have written to me to thank me for writing about topics like date rape or child abuse or things like that. And I don't talk down to them. I talk to them on their level. I create a character that has, uh, that lives in a particular situation and that character makes decisions. And because of that, those decisions, the plot unfolds. And they like that because I don't try to moralize to them. I say, this is what these kids did and this is what happened. And then they draw their own conclusions. Is there anything in particular that you hope that your readers will take away from reading your books? I hope that they, when they finish reading one of the books, they are able to think and they're able to have a discussion with somebody close to them, a parent, a teacher, a social worker, even a friend. Um, I've had many, many students say, I took this book to my teacher and we all read it in class and then we talked about the things that were in there. Um, I, I made my mother read this book. Me and my mother sat down and read this book together because it deals with issues that kids want to talk about. They really don't want to talk about, you know, the color of their fingernails. They want to talk about issues that affect their lives. And whether it's through programs like Reading Across Continents or through reading your work, why do you think it's important for students to be exposed to other cultures and other perspectives? American students in particular have a tendency to be very isolated and insulated. And um, be, the, it's the nature of a teenager to be like that and to be very, very self-centered and just be concerned with their own world. And when they're exposed to people from other cultures and other worlds, it's like, oh, 15-year-old kids in Nigeria feel like I do. Uh, they have fights with their mother just like I do. You know, and that makes the world much smaller, and it gives them uh, an idea that the world, that people all over the world are more the same than they are different. So I think it's really, really powerful that they have an opportunity to discuss, uh, to discuss issues that affects them as young people and as thoughtful future leaders of the world that they get to talk about this with each other. As I mentioned earlier, your work as an educator and a teacher's advocate has taken you around the world, in particular to some underdeveloped countries. What type of advice do you try to impart on these trips, and, and what do you get out of it in return? I don't try to give advice. Uh, I learn when I go to other countries. For example, when I went to Ghana, we stayed in a village that had no running water. And, and as an American, you look and you say, oh, these people are so poverty-stricken. But they weren't. They were happy. They had everything that they needed for, uh, for self-sufficiency. They had food. The parents loved the children. Their, their family structures were strong. The parents lived with the grandparents who lived with the great-grandparents who all took care of the children. Uh, the children all felt safe. I saw small children walking up and down the street way after dark on their way home, and nobody bothered them. Nobody molested them. They, uh, they knew that they were safe, and if they got lost, they just talked to any grown-up they happened to find and say, could you take me to my house? It's around the corner. And they would say, sure, because they took care of each other. And I was so impressed with the 
sense of family and community that existed that we don't have. As we, I traveled closer to to the cities where they had television and video games and so forth, you could see the breakdown in the family structure. Huh. The pure families existed in the places where they didn't have all of the toys that we have. And I, I thought it was very, very powerful. I never felt so peaceful and so happy in my life. I want to talk a little bit more about families, and actually this is a good segue back into your own writing and your own inspiration. I've seen that you have given great credit to your parents for introducing you to books. Talk a little bit about that and about how important it is for families to uh, engage in reading together. I think it's extremely important, and whenever I talk to family groups, um, I, I tell the parents, sit down with your children, read to your children. Everybody reads to five-year-olds. Uh, nobody wants to read to a 15-year-old. You know, I tell them, even if you have to sit him down and glue him to a chair, read to your 15-year-old, and after a while you, don't, you won't need the glue. They'll say, Mom, read again, because children need to hear the sound of their parents' voices. My very first teachers were my parents, who never went to college, but they were the very best teachers I ever had. My mother helped me through French. She didn't speak French but she helped me learn French, and she read to me every single day from the time I was a very, very small child. And so by the time I actually started to read, I already had a lot of literary knowledge in my head because I had been read to. And I think it really, really made a difference in my uh, life choices and my, you know, the fact that I loved books, the fact that I read every single book in the junior high library. Uh, is because it started with my parents reading to me as a child. And in terms of your other inspiration, I understand that it was actually a student who challenged you to enter a literary contest that, in essence, began your literary career. Talk a little bit about that. <laughs> actually, that's true. Um, I'm a writing teacher, and so I would give my students... Um, assignments, writing assignments all the time. And, you know, the kind of hard-head kid that sits in the back of the room. And this one boy said to me, you're always making us write stuff. Why don't you write something sometime? <laughs> and he gave me an application for a writing contest. So I took it, and I hadn't planned on entering it, but I ended up entering the contest, and it was a short story contest, and I won first prize. And it's like, oh, wow, <laughs> that's amazing. And so I must have some kind of writing ability more than just the teaching of writing ability because that's two different skills, to be able to read somebody else's writing and say, fix this and add a, a new character over here than to actually put it down yourself and have the words come and make the characters come alive. How, so how that story um, was published in Ebony Magazine in mm -hmm. 1991. And it is now chapter one of Forged by Fire. I didn't plan it at the time, but years later, because Forged by Fire didn't come out until 1997, and um, it, that story that won that contest is chapter one of Forged by Fire. An acorn that grew into a tree. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> a very large tree. And how are you shaped and influenced by your students, both as a person and as a writer? I miss not being in the classroom every single day because I'm influenced by their enthusiasm, by their, uh, their cheerfulness, their, their ability to forgive each other and to keep going, even though 
some of their lives are very, very difficult. So I miss that. But I visit schools all the time, and I get a little bit of it when I get to sit in small groups and just have just kind of gab sessions with the, with the young people. They're very, very honest, and they will tell me exactly what they think and whether something works or whether something doesn't. But I really, really, I honest to goodness like teenagers. And I think in order to teach middle school, you have to like teenagers. I like young people. I like being around them. And, um, and I use their energy when I'm writing. And I'm trying to, to, that's why I continue to do school visits, so that I can continue to have that energy in each new book. Now, you have to explain to me what a Draper paper is. <laughs> the Draper paper. Um, I'm just fortunate that my name rhymes with paper. <laughs> but when I was teaching, this was the big, fat, hairy, scary research paper that my seniors had to do. And uh, we had T-shirts every year that the students would design, and it said, I survived the Draper paper. Basically, it was a 10-page research paper that they had to do fourth quarter of their senior year. So instead of going to the mall to buy prom dresses, they had to go to the library and do book notes. So uh, it became a real big intimidation factor, and it started all the way back in the junior year where students would say, oh, I'm going to have Draper next year. I have to write that paper. I'll never graduate. But students who did the paper, many of them still have their T-shirts, and I have run into them. I ran into a student in London who was wearing his Draper paper T-shirt in London. But many of them write me and say, thank you for making me do that paper. You taught me research skills, and because of that, I was successful in college. It was just basic research skills, but it was a wonderful, wonderful case of intimidation. As I mentioned earlier, you've been uh, honored and recognized for your teaching, uh, 1997 National Teacher of the Year, 1995 uh, one of the first 150 teachers to receive National Board certification by the National Board for Professional Teaching Standards. Tell me what that sort of recognition means to you. How important is it? Uh, national teacher, the National Teacher of the Year program is the oldest and most recognized and most honored teacher recognition program in the country. And um, it's always announced by the White House. And um, with this news blackout, and it's very, very official, and just a wonderful, wonderful honor. But when I got that, it was more of the chance to be recognized for all of those teachers that did not get the chance to be up there and be recognized. There are a lot of teachers that worked harder than I did, that did more than I did, that contributed more than I did. So as I stood up there, I stood up there for them. And as I traveled around the country, I spoke for them to all those people who never got a chance to get out of their classroom. I got a chance to get out and I said, I speak for all of them. I want to remind you what people in Arkansas and people in Mississippi and people in New York are doing. And I want you to recognize them and I want you to appreciate them and I want you to give them uh, the credit that is due. So I felt like I was a representative for all the teachers when I was doing that. It was a wonderful time, and I learned more, again, than I taught that year. I, I met so many wonderful people and got to travel all over. And the National Board Certification, um, 
everybody, every major, major uh, profession has a professional certification system. For instance, um, I go to a board-certified ophthalmologist, mm-hmm. and I'm assuming that because my doctor has a sign in his office that says he's a board-certified ophthalmologist, that he's pretty good, that he has passed some extra tests, and that when I give him my eyes to work on, I can trust him. So now we have board-certified teachers, and teachers get to... um, Those teachers are supposed to be the teachers that we can that we can trust. The teachers that are that have been chosen and selected and gone through a rigorous, rigorous program to show that they are excellent teachers. And uh, it was wonderful being on the ground floor of that. I have never been at the beginning of a great, great movement. It was like you know being in a covered wagon going uphill going through that process and, and figuring out, we didn't even know what questions to ask uh, what makes a good teacher and going through that process. So the first hundred and so of us uh, that were certified got to go to the White House that year. And then um, when I remember when I was there, I said, you know, I'm going to be back. I'm coming back mm-hmm. here for something. So I got to go back for the... For the uh, um, when I was National Teacher of the Year, and I have uh, I've been to the White House, I think five, maybe six times now. Wow. Well, we always appreciate your participation in the National Book Festival. What uh, can we expect to hear from you this year at the Book Festival? I'm going to be focusing on Copper Sun and um, on November Blues, which is book two of a new trilogy. The Battle of Jericho is book one. November Blues is fairly recent. Uh, that's book two, and um, the uh, third book I'm finishing up this summer, and so I will have two trilogies now. I found that young people love to have uh, trilogies, and they love to ha- be able to read and see the characters in progressive books. So uh, I'm almost finished with the third book in the trilogy. I'll also be talking about my books for younger readers uh, for the third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade reader. I have a series called Ziggy and the Black Dinosaurs, and um, they're they're little boys who get into adventures that nothing really bad happens to them. They're just funny and high energy. And so I'll also have those to offer for uh, parents and attendees who have younger readers. Well, Sharon Draper, we very much appreciate your time today. Thanks for speaking with us. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. And once again, we will be hearing more from you at the National Book Festival. That is Saturday, September 27th on the National Mall from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. The event, as always, free and open to the public. For more details and a complete list of participating authors, visit www.loc.gov bookfest. From the Library of Congress, this is Matt Raymond. Thank you for listening.